Welcome to Ernie Ball's Striking the Chord podcast. Today on the show, we have Code Orange guitarists Reba Myers and Dominic Landolina. Code Orange has gained a reputation for being heavy, for being hardworking, and for pushing that envelope. So in today's episode, we'll talk about the power and potential of adding visual components to music, the balancing act of playing guitar parts well while delivering a high-energy performance, the importance of pushing the envelope, and more. Ladies and gentlemen, Reba Myers and Dominic Landolino. Code Orange guitarist Reba Myers and Dominic Landolina. Welcome to the podcast. What's up? Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. Something I think about sometimes is the evolution of music. I think you would be a good band to bounce this off. So the heavy music of, of any era, I'm sure always feels extreme. And then time passes, new bands emulate it, music gets heavier. And then you look back, the older era doesn't feel as heavy. Do you consciously think about how to push it further? Yeah. I definitely have yeah. that thought in my mind a lot. What yeah. you just described. I mean, for me and Reba's end, the guitar standpoint, yeah, we totally drove ourselves crazy for, well, like a year just trying to write the most extreme original thing we could on the guitar. I could show you my fucking riff bank. It's like, like hours and hours, days worth of riffs that maybe are like good, but don't have an original enough aspect to them. So it's like, what's the point? It's like, you know, like there might be a song code wrote that we all really liked, but if it wasn't pushing it enough, we would just be like, we just couldn't, it just couldn't move, move on. So that's always kind of like, I mean, I would say it's almost number one thing, even if a song that's, that's why it's like so difficult to write with this band. Cause you can write a good song, but that's not always like the only thing that matters. And I think some people don't feel that way about music, but for us, it's like, especially because we're not just some pop band. We're not like a rock and roll band. We're a metal band and that, and a hardcore band. And there's something else that comes with that. And it's to push music forward. You can't just write a good song and you can't just like make it catchy. That's not like what matters. And that's, I think why we also get hated on sometimes because we're a bit, bit like protective of that, especially in like the hardcore metal scene. Cause it's like anyone could come in and write, especially now with the well of music that there is out there to study and to listen to and to figure out the formula on how, how to make a heavy riff like sounds like a weird YouTube video clip, yeah. which I'm sure actually does exist. <laughs> but like anyone could do that. Sure. Anyone can write a catchy little heavy riff. It's like I could write that in my fucking sleep. And so could Dom, you know, if we wanted to. But that's not what makes Code Orange special, and that's not what is important in the world needs right now. If if yeah. a bunch of heavy bands come out and they're all just catchy, heavy pop music which that does exist, like then the, the genre is never going to like never going to matter anymore. And it's not going to grow culturally and be important and make a statement. It's like you have to be different and you have to be intentionally trying to do risky things. Totally. Especially in, in today when there's just an overwhelming amount of content at our fingertips. So it can be really challenging to stand out from the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. All right. 
I always like learning where bands come from. So let's go back to the olden days. Where did you guys grow up? Was there music in the home? Were there interests apart from music? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with that. My parents didn't do any like real playing music at all, but they loved, you know, playing it in the house. Neither of them play instruments or anything like that. But, you know, as a kid, uh, there was always like music around. I think that was important to them. And, you know, when I was in like third grade, I started playing uh, flute as a kid uh-huh. and uh, grew into that like a lot, you know, just started caring about like, the little details of music when I was really young and, um, you know, later on got into guitar and bass. And I think, yeah, just like caring about like the little, like, you know, the, the important artistic aspects of like playing a song and melodies and harmonies and that type of thing at a young age made it like, you know, it had an impact on me and, uh, helped me like learn how to write songs, um, earlier on. And, you know, we also started the band when we were pretty young. So, it's a bit different than some people, you know, we, when we were in like eighth grade, me and Jamie started like jamming, just like covers, you know? Uh-huh. Um, and then in ninth grade, Co orange kids started and we met Dom like a little bit later on too. So, yeah. And, uh, and so Dom, you joined a little later. I want to get to that. So, so how about before that? What's your, what's your history as far as growing up with music? Well, I grew up uh, in a household where nobody played an instrument, but my dad was like a total music junkie. Like we have a whole bunch of bookshelves in the house that are just lined with CDs and records and cassette tapes and all this stuff. So, I mean, my, my dad's like obsessed with music like I am. So I think I got that from him, him and all his brothers played guitar as kids, but my dad was the worst out of all of them. So he didn't continue that on into adulthood, but that was, that's like something me and my, uncle's bond over. I was, I was, uh, only in, I was encouraged to listen to music that was like, you know, where there weren't being a lot of swear words thrown around. So like rap would get an eyebrow raised from my parents, but I still listen to that. But like, it took me a little longer to find like rock music and stuff is like my main thing. I think that, that probably happened in my early teenage years. And when that happened, I think my dad was really relieved about that. And we kind of entered a new like bonding thing over that so before that you mostly listened to rap yeah it was it was usually rap or just whatever was on the radio i didn't think about it too hard you know like yeah i had older siblings that had cds i remember like hearing rock bands like you know some 41 or blink 182 or something like that just because that was what was on the radio but just radio stuff i never thought about it as something serious Okay, cool. So, so let's go back to the the inception of Code Orange. Actually, Code Orange Kids is that correct, Reba? Yeah, when we were, you know, until until we put out I'm King, we were Code Orange Kids. Okay, and this is freshman year. Um, yeah, about freshman year when we started the band. We we basically uh, me and Jamie were really really good friends, and we uh, we were looking for like another guitar player. Um, we had this one guy in the band when we were kids, but he didn't end up sticking around for that long. But you know, we had heard around that Eric was, you know, he was like an art major or whatever at our school, which I think had like little majors where we would be split up and like half the day we could do the major and half the day we would do academics. So he was like an art major, quote unquote. Um, and we had heard around that he played guitar. So we like kind of seeked him out and we were like, yo, like you want to do the band with us? <laughs> and he was, he was into it and he was super cool. And we just all clicked really fucking hard and you know, practiced at whoever's house until we got noise complaint and then switched houses. And until we ended up about 
most of the time, then we ended up at Eric's in Eric's basement. Um, he has this like, his parents have this like crazy old house in the North side of Pittsburgh. That's like a historic landmark. And he had this like just a little basement spot where we could kind of seclude ourselves and we would just go there every day after school and just play forever for hours from, yeah, from like ninth grade until, until we graduated. And was it always heavier music? Did you guys start heavy? Yeah. Well, we, we loved like punk rock. We were okay. very much punk rock kids. Like Eric had like a fucking mohawk and yeah. um, we all had like, you know, we were those kids out of school. So <laughs> yeah. super punk rock. And, um, but we also just like loved all kinds of stuff like that. There was always like, you know, factions in Pittsburgh, like the punk kids, like the crust kids, the hardcore kids, the metal kids. And none of them had like that much of a scene. It was all kind of like smaller pockets. And that's why it was like a bit hard to get shows to be like big in Pittsburgh, uh, which I think is a problem a lot of like smaller cities have. But we were like kind of different because we, for some reason, didn't care about any of that because we didn't really understand. We just loved music. So we would go to all kinds of shows. We'd go to all uh, metal. It took a little bit longer, but with crust and punk and, and uh, hardcore, like we just, we would go everywhere. We just wanted to play as many shows as we could get our hands on. So we just like begged everyone to let us play shows. <laughs> and uh, we just ended up meeting kind of like all the different groups of people. And we definitely had like a really weird sound at the time, but we just like, we were just obsessed with it. So, um, and I think Dom was also around, even though he wasn't in the band. I think he was probably going to shows at some point in there too when he met Joe. So was Dom at the same high school? Oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. went to the same same high school. I mean, I, I go back further with some of them. Me and Reba like grew up like you know about three blocks away from each other, and I went to elementary school and middle school and all that together. Oh, that's so. awesome. And then I met some of the other ones in middle school, and then Eric and Joe met in high school, but. Yeah, I remember back when I was like a freshman or sophomore in high school, uh, Jamie would just run around the halls like begging people to come to a Code Orange Kids show. So there's a couple times I ended up seeing them like way back in the day at like the local spot near our school that they had like little like kid shows and stuff like that. It sounds like you had maybe kind of a unique high school. Yeah, it was like, I guess you call it yeah, magnet yeah. school. Okay. I was, I was an art major with Eric and the other three did music. So I was, I was like a little disconnected from them, but I think by the time I was like a senior in high school, I was trying to make it a point to go out to all the same punk hardcore shows, whatever metal shows that Joe or Jamie or Reba were going to. And Yeah. So in this high school, were, were you guys all in the midst of more artistic people then? Mm, sort yeah, of. Yeah, absolutely. We were, um, it, was, it was like yeah, a I would, I mean, like, <laughs> In an annoying way a bit, I would say, but it was sick cause we could do whatever, you know, half the day we could do our, like our thing that we liked to do. You know, yeah. I think most people who were there, most people didn't totally care in the same way that we do. Like we were always, especially me and Jamie, um, we're always kind of known as like kids who took that shit too seriously. <laughs> Code orange kids kind of had that rep in general. I think people, people didn't get what, like our music. They didn't understand it. Cause yeah. obviously it was like punk and no one gets punk, but you know, we obviously like took it way super seriously. So we would like push ourselves into every show, every opportunity that we could, but like people didn't really like us like musically, but it was an art school and people were very like, accepting of like weirdos. So that in that sense, it was, it was, wasn't so bad, but yeah, I think I mean, most of the people there, even though, yeah, it was like arts 
artsy. They didn't get like what we were doing necessarily, but it was still sick because it's like you could, you know, you could play. Like I remember the last couple years of that, like when we, me and Jamie especially started getting more obsessive and Joe too, because he was in our, on our floor. Uh, We would just like hang out in practice rooms and like, like play riffs and like think of ideas for the band, like at school, whenever <laughs> it stopped mattering, like what you were yeah. up to. So oh, that's <laughs> that great. was great. I mean, to have like a guitar and an amp at school and be able to do that, like during the day. And I think that like teachers and shit kind of understood that, that we cared a lot about that and started like picking up on it and like letting us do it. Yeah, that's great. So you guys were, were fairly motivated people early on. It sounds like at least musically. I mean, did you have this deep drive to, to make it? Yeah, like, I think that was always, like, an understanding between me and Jamie and Joe. And even though Joe wasn't even in the band at the time yet, he still was was so on board. But between all of us and Shade, like, we just knew that it was what we were going to do. And, uh, I mean, I had, like, some other interests. And, and I was, I, you know, I wanted to go to school for for music and classical stuff, but uh, which I did do. But at the same time, I knew... I knew deep down that it wasn't going to last if this, if the band ended up like getting somewhere, which in our minds at the time it did, obviously it was just like stupid shit. But like, as soon as we left high school, you know, we figured it out so that we all moved together and we all went to the next step together. And then we ended up getting like our first headline tour and and we just quit school. And then that was that, like, it was just, it was, it was an understood thing. Right. Right. Here's something I, I kind of wonder when I hear about these young bands that start. I mean, you guys have a ton of stage presence, energy, headbanging. You bring it. I know starting out, young people can feel inhibited. Was there a point when you guys were were scared or nervous to go all out like you do now? Well, luckily we have Jamie and he was never afraid. So that he was always just that guy who's just like, give me more, give me more, give me more. And we were just like, okay. But he's behind the drums. He was, but he had that, you know, he always has had that like gusto, you know, and he, he was a singer, even though he was behind the drums, he was always yeah. a singer. And, uh, yeah, he was just always like pushing us. And I think that helped a lot. Cause I was definitely like a more of a shy kid at the time. Um, shade was pretty like Sh- shade was, was pretty easygoing. I mean, he was quiet, but like he, he loved punk and he loved like moving around and we all loved bands that do that so it was like we didn't want to be that band that was just like standing around looking like they don't want to be there like yeah, yeah. we didn't want to be that so even though there was some of that like little kid self-consciousness thing we got over it and with him pushing us we we started falling in love with that aspect like even though our music was super sloppy like you couldn't not remember us because we just went super hard even if it was like goofy at the time well, that's that's cool. I also kind of wonder. This is related. I mean, you guys are seasoned performers now, but and this is for both of you guys. What's what's the balance like between going wild on stage and, and nailing your parts at the same time at a live show? That's a constant struggle, honestly. Yeah, I would think. Is it a matter of practice? Yeah, a matter of practice, and then a matter of. I find it's a lot of controlling myself before we start playing. Like, you know, I get like an adrenaline rush and I feel it through my fingers and stuff. And I'm furiously practicing riffs before we go on stage and warming up and all that. And still, sometimes you get on stage and right away, like I'll feel the adrenaline dump and just like really have to chill out and focus on my playing. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I always imagine it kind of like, you know, sports or like pro athletes or like, you know, martial artists, stuff like that. Like I'm sure they have similar issues. Like it's 
a level of control that you have to have in your mind when you're doing it. But you also at the same time have to just like go with the flow because otherwise you won't be able to perform to your best. Yeah, that's true. I guess where it's where it would it would differ from athletes or something is is you would be behaving differently if you're in a studio compared to like a live stage. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, athletes are performers in a way too sometimes. So sure. You know, even maybe with like pro wrestling or something like that, like you know, where you're doing something that's super technical, but you also have to make it appear like it's easy. Right. Uh, right. Like like it's fluid. Yeah. And then that also helps you, you know pull off the artistic aspect and stuff. So it's definitely hard because you feel like all this tension in your body because you're like hyped up, but you also have to like control that and play good. These little, little strings and frets. Yeah. But it's metal music and it's going to be a little sloppy. So it is what it is. <laughs> hey, Dominic. So, so you join, when do you join the band? I joined the band uh, at the beginning of the forever touring cycle. So it was, uh, I think the first show was January 2017, sometime in there. But uh, there was probably, Reba, probably like a year of me practicing with you guys, right? How much? I mean, it felt yeah, like a year. Yeah, it had to have been. I mean, so yeah, yeah, that first show was, I think it was Friday the 13th. It was our record release show that we played. Yeah, that's right. For forever. That was Dom's first show. And it was funny because we were actually going to play a show in Canada at some fest. And that was going to be his first show. We left Pittsburgh to drive there and it just started snowing and icing like oh, crazy. And, and we had to turn around. And then I ended up getting in a crash like right after I dropped them off at their house. Oh, man. Yeah, we were we were driving there and we just saw these cars like skidded off the road into snow banks and stuff. And we'd pass one and be like, oh, maybe we should turn around. <laughs> Finally, we we just said, yeah, we really have to go home right now. There's no way we're doing this safely. And the Pittsburgh show yeah, ended yeah, up being a better first show anyways because, you know, I was around all my friends and stuff and family. Yeah. And so it sounds like even well before your first gig, you were in the fold. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was, sure. a, there was a really long process of me getting up to up to snuff with all the material and all the aspects of playing right. And, you know, being a, being a good part of the live show and, you know, nailing the onstage energy aspect and stuff. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's some musical chairs, some versatility with your band, with vocals, guitars, synths, drums. Reba, did you, I know Jamie was singing in the beginning. Were you also singing early on? Yeah. Me and Shade and Jamie had always split okay. vocal duties. Jamie was just like the, the leader obviously and he did all the majority of them but i started like messing around with singing pretty early on too um and then we were in this other band adventures that um is actually when we first started playing with dom as like a guitarist and that's kind of where uh -huh. me and him started working together on stuff before he actually started writing with code orange it's kind of where we you know found out that he was really talented and like, yeah, we would spend a lot of time together doing that. And I was like kind of learning how to sing for real through that band. And then, yeah, it kind of just all started clicking more so with Code Orange. And, um, and yeah, we were just like, oh, shit, we need someone else to write ideas with us or to at least just even play guitar while Shade is doing synth stuff. Because, you know, you can't do two things at once. And Dom was there and we knew he was good. And he had been working with us with the other band for you know, a couple of years at that point. And, um, we just hit him up and he respect to him. He was willing to like grind. Cause it's not easy with us. Like 
we're freaking lunatics. And uh, it's like, for him, it was like being in like the longest interview ever. I'd imagine anyways. And we were pretty like, <laughs> yeah. we're pretty critical. So, so this is in concert with uh, increasing the electronic element in your, in your band. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was just made sense. Like she wanted to explore that world more and we wanted him to be able to do that. But like, we weren't, we wanted to keep the real band aspect like as strong as, as it always had been. It wasn't like we wanted to lose the, the power of the guitar. So we, we had Dom come in and, you know, be that other guy. And, uh, it just made everything like, way easier to write. And I think especially it started clicking in on this album too, cause he like the dynamic is so strong now. And, uh, we were able to all kind of play our roles even better and forever. It was still kind of like a new thing for us. Yeah. And when did Jamie start coming forward to the front? He just did that. I mean, that was, that was he, very had, he made that decision. Like, yeah, not even, you know, even writing this record, we kind of had it in the back of our minds that it was going to be tough for him to do both, but we didn't really make the decision until, until later on. How do you think about the marriage of the music and the visual aspects of Code Orange? Because you guys seem very aware of the, of the power of bringing these together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always been like hand-in-hand hand thing with us, that stuff. You can listen to a band and love the songs, but for it to really reach its potential and, and like, especially for me, like music that I truly obsess over, it has to have both and they have to, they have to have like a purpose. And I think that Jamie's absolutely always understood that and he's understood that from a very young age. And I think most people don't have that kind of like visual perception young, you know? So him like caring about that stuff really young made our band also set us apart a little bit more because, you know, even from our first albums, like there was some sort of, you know, even if it wasn't as, as detailed and as calculated as it is now and like as much time put in, it was still like always something that we really, tried and cared about and thought about um and it you know it just started clicking later about how far we could take that and you know we learned how to do it ourselves and that made it so we could really take it really far and i think you know unless you have either someone really close in your group or you do it yourself there's always going to be kind of a gap between the music and the art but since we had you know we had one best friend who did all of our stuff um, her name's Kimmy and she was in one of our other bands too. And she did all of our art stuff with Jamie early on. Um, and yeah, just cause they were kind of, she understood us. So it was easy to like get the ideas across and have it all weaved and linked together. It wasn't just like a piece of art and a piece of music. It was like an intentional thing. You know, in the same way where it's like, you know, when someone writes a soundtrack to a movie, it's like, you can't just write a soundtrack and then stick it into a movie. You have to be doing both at the same time. And, yeah. and that was always kind of how we approached it. And yeah. I think, you know, now more than ever, we were able, like, it's more most important because we were able to grow that, that kind of skill. Yeah. I think you, that's like really good instincts because a band can be more than just music. There's, there's so many aspects that go into one's experience of a band. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So as you're saying with the performance stuff too. So. Right. Right. For sure. And, and uh, the video swallowing the rabbit hole, that video is frightening and uh, insane and, and visceral. So intense, you know, not something I'd, I'd probably play for my kids before they go to bed, but impressive. And so you know, it's awesome. But I would think it's really hard to bring something like that to life, you know, effectively. So how, how did you pull that off? 
both. It's definitely a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tom, what do you think from your, I was going to say it was, it was, uh, from my perspective. Yeah. It was a lot of, uh, a lot of figuring out how to stretch out a, a budget as much as possible to do everything that we sort of wanted to do. I mean, there's computer animation in there. There's yeah. a scene where we're playing inside of a giant glass box. There's a, uh, you know, there's all this like VFX stuff and, uh, we're running around in costumes and we have like extras dancing around us and stuff. To do all this on budget, are you getting help from friends? Yeah, I mean, like we had a budget, like obviously more than a budget than we usually do. But mm-hmm. at the same time, for what we pulled off, it was not enough at all. Like we kept begging for more and they were just like, nope. <laughs> so we, you know, it being Max who made the video, he's like, you know, a guy who's been making every single video of ours since we were children. And he, he started when we started pretty much, you know, and he like grew, grew kind of at a similar trajectory. So he, him and us are really close and he just really wanted to make it happen and really believed in us, which, you know, basically made it, you know, he, like he put in so much extra time and so much personal time for free that like without that and without the grind from him and his crew and like, we wouldn't have made it happen. Yeah, I mean, you guys are you guys are heavy. You push the envelope. So, generationally, I always wonder this: What do your grandparents think of Code Orange? Don't understand it. <laughs> Appreciate it. Okay. Yeah, my grandparents are. I don't think they ever heard of it, ever knew it existed. So I can't really comment on that one. But okay. in terms of extended family, I think everyone like thinks it's cool. They like definitely don't get the music, but. They think it's cool. Everyone's supportive. I think we all had like supportive parents and that was like a big part in why we succeeded too. Yeah. Or whether, you know, succeed, yeah, whatever absolutely. that really means. But you know, like there's a lot of kids who have like these artistic goals and their parents are just like, nah, dude, like, fuck you. Like you're going to med school. <laughs> but yeah. we didn't have that as much. I mean, I think Dom's parents, if anything, they were, from our eyes anyway, from my eyes, they were the most like pushing back because they made him go to college and finish, which was mm-hmm. definitely rough on you, Dom. But uh, Dom still went on yeah, tour with us def- and still went on tour with our other band, so. Yeah. What'd you study, Dom? Business management. Oh, okay. Which is just the, the most, uh, I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life kind of major you could pick. But the whole time I'm sitting in class thinking of like, distracted from class by like thinking about like songs I'm working on writing or, you know, I remember there was, uh, there was a couple of occasions where I would like just leave school to go do like a short little adventures tour when that, that band was still active. And, um, I wouldn't tell my teachers and I just end up like failing a class cause I missed like two weeks in a row or something. I, I didn't take it very seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Your heart the, was the whole time. I was fault. like, I mean, we begged you to do it. Yeah. Well, I was, I mean, I wanted to do it anyways. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what I've always wanted to do. And, you know, came out of the other side of college and then joined the band, you know, you did it. Joined the band officially probably two years later, but started the process of joining the band and practicing with them probably about a year later. And then, then I realized that I had figured out what I was actually going to end up doing. But yeah, I mean, our, our parents are all extremely supportive of what we're doing. We, run the merch store out of Joe's dad's house. This house is lined with boxes of merch and records all day long. We're running in and out of there. That's awesome. We have a lot of support from our families and stuff, which is great because 
this is a super all consuming thing we're doing and it's, it would be pretty impossible to, um, do what we do without support of our loved ones. Nice. Who are your favorite bands in your, in your formative years? So let's say, let's say high school or even, even middle school when you guys started. Punk was for sure like middle school thing. Like, I mean, I loved it in high school too, but high school, I was like, started hearing about, you know, hate breed or crisis, like disembodied, like stuff like that. And, uh, but middle school, yeah, for sure. Like minor threat, government issue, whatever, like punk music, black flag, dead Kennedys, all this shit, like that, those classic, like first step, first heard punk bands. Yeah. Um, and then there was obviously like a bunch of local shit, like, uh, cost of Christ and like, crustier Pittsburgh bands that we would get into too. Through like middle school and stuff, I was just sort of listening to whatever still. I didn't really think about it. And then by the time uh, high school rolled around and I started playing guitar and really like focusing on that and really focusing on learning guitar music and stuff and appreciating all that, I was uh, still am jamming a lot of like Metallica and Megadeth, Slayer, Pantera, you know, whatever kind of you know, big four thrash and whatever kind of like offshoots of that, that I could find. Like I said, my dad was like, you know, my dad's older and grew up in the heyday of like Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. And, you know, I found those kind of bands and uh, Van Halen. Yeah. And then probably later on in high school is when I got turned on to like the hardcore kind of stuff. Uh, Joe would show me just whatever band was coming through town on some show and, you know, we'd listen to it and get into it and go see the show. And then, you know, now we know this local band from wherever that, you know, came through on tour. It's interesting to me. I always think about like how kids get into music, you know, nowadays versus then. I think we were lucky cause we not lucky. I mean, I shouldn't say that cause it's just different, but you know, we were right at the tail end of the generation that did find everything they know off the internet. Yeah. Uh, which it's okay. I, I think that it'll just grow into its own beast. But, uh, you know, we, we would still have like either local dudes, uh, local people who would like kind of take us in musically, um, and show us the ropes and like give us bands to listen to that yes. are kind of like Pittsburgh generational, like bands that you just, it's like, here's what you need to know if you're planning on, you know, doing this like people who knew that we really cared about music and kind of, it was almost like they were entrusting us with these bands. It's like, that's yeah. how like the hardcore scene can be. Sometimes it's like protective over its like secrets. It's very yeah. strange, but <laughs> some of our true. friends like knew that we really cared about it. And they were like, you know, they showed us the ropes with that. And, and then still, you know, we would go to CD stores and record stores and just like look around. I mean, I know I would, I think Don probably did this too. And I know Joe and, and them oh, did absolutely. too. Absolutely. Yeah, just like dig around and you'd look and you'd see something with like art that looked kind of heavy. And if it looked kind of heavy, you would just grab it and you just buy it with whatever spare change you had. And then like yeah. either it would be awesome. Like that's how I actually discovered Agnostic Front, which is the weirdest shit ever. But like I don't know how that happened, but it was just some comp CD that I bought from the local like store. And it just like looked, maybe it had one band that I knew on it. And Agnostic Front was on it. And then I heard them that, through that. And I was just like, oh shit, this rocks. So, but again, that ties into what we were talking about. The power of visual, just the album cover. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, even in even in like a generic way, it's like, it speaks so much for like what 
something might sound like, or it just creates some sort of mystery and makes you like want to know. Let's talk guitar real quick. Do you guys use different tunings? And also, what gauge strings do you play? Yeah, we play in uh, drop E typically, but then some other slight variants on that. Some songs we'll play in uh, A sharp, but we won't tune down the entire guitar. We'll like just tune down the three bottom strings. And then sometimes we'll play in uh, drop B and then take the second and third string and drop those down a step, which uh, is that what's the term for that? There's a name B minor, basically. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So yeah, most, most of our songs are done in those three tunings. Yeah. So are you guys using single strings to piece together a custom gauge? No, I, no. I had tried doing that once when we were recording cause it's so fucking annoying with tuning and like staying in tune. It's like the most yeah. time consuming, annoying thing. So I tried putting like a 56 on the bottom string, but the problem is with the guitar that I play anyway, the hole isn't big enough for anything really thicker right. than a 54. You can yeah. maybe jam a 56 in there, but like not really. So uh, we just both play the not even slinky, like oh, okay. keel pack. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I, yeah that was just the one that we love to play and just has always yeah, worked for us. Those, those are good strings. And they, for the yeah. tuning, they sit, they sit really well on my guitar, like, um, tightness wise, you know, like when, when, uh, the not even slinkies like tune to droppy, like that's, that's the amount of tension I want under my fingers when I'm playing something. It feels good. I can like, yeah, you know, if we're playing like a fast riff or something, the string pops up, you know, when you let go with your finger nicely. Yeah. You know, and then you got the top strings are still thick enough that if we play those like uh, chaos chords or whatever you want to call them, I think everyone kind of has their own name for that. They're they're thick enough that you can still get like a, you know, they sound powerful. They don't sound, you know, like you're just playing some yeah. dinky little thing on the top strings and they're too thin. Yeah. Um, yes. And then it's, it's, totally agreed. We do a lot of those. Uh, we do like a lot of bends on the the second and third string, like those like kind of like rock sounding bends. You can hear them in a couple of the songs on underneath and previous Code Orange material. But it it sounds good for those too. That's that's really the the main concern for those top strings is making sure that those riffs on the second and third string sound nice and powerful. Because it's pretty rare that we hit the very top string. I'm not sure if we do that any any time. I'll be hitting that string. Yeah, I'd be hitting really? that string. Yeah. yeah, motherfucker. There you go. I hit that top. Play those leads. So, <laughs> well, today is April thirteenth, twenty twenty, for our listeners. We're we're in the midst of of coronavirus, so it kind of has thrown everyone's plans for a loop. How are you guys passing your time? Lots of guitar playing, <laughs> doing band stuff. Yeah, I mean, well, that's good. Guitar, live streaming. I think I've stayed up until like the crack of freaking morning every night in the last week, just on my computer figuring out how to play this shit with no lag. Uh, so oh, okay. that's been consuming my yeah. life, but, uh, well, that's good. You're on it then. You're, you're yeah. transitioning with the, with the times. Yeah. Lots Absolutely. of, lots of figuring out how, how we're going to make sure that we stay in people's ears and, uh, on their minds during this time when we just put this record out and we can't even fucking play a show for, you know, some undetermined amount of time. I feel like we were programmed with like some sort of bug in our ear when we were young. That's just like, no matter what's going on in the world, you literally have to get your music out there somehow, even if they don't want to hear it. It's like, it's like no matter what's going on, we're just constantly thinking of ways to like to do the band and to work and to get the music out there. And 
yeah. show people what we're up to. And it's just like, even if everything's shut down, we're not going to stop because otherwise, like, I don't know what we'd be doing. I think we all kind of feel that way. This is like the only thing we care about to, yeah. you know, a real kind of a degree. So it's, yeah. it's pretty great to have that right now. Yeah. Right, so is, is Twitch gaining some momentum with, with bands? I would say, I mean, for us it is. I don't yeah. know if it, I don't know how many bands are really on it, but you know, we did the, our big stream with with Hate Pop Six for our release show. You know, when right. our show got canceled, and I think that hopefully set a precedent that people can use it for that. I mean, there's all kinds of different platforms you could use, but uh, Twitch is definitely great. I mean, I'm still pretty pretty new to it, so but yeah, I mean, I think it will during this time for sure be useful. Yeah, well, that's good. Sounds like you guys are kind of on the leading edge of of figuring out how to cope with this stuff. So, anyway, Reba and Dominic, it's it's been great getting your stories. Thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, oh yeah, man. man. Thanks for tuning in to Ernie Ball's Striking a Chord podcast. Thanks again to Code Orange. Can't wait to see what they do next. If anyone would like to give us a review on iTunes or another podcast platform, we would love that. Or I guess that would depend on the review. If you'd like to contact us, please email strikingaccord at ernieball.com. We just try to think of the most crazy possible music that we could write.